Hey, Metastential in a bite-sized travel-to-go package. Tom Bennett, Derek Phillips, talking Metastential, the overlap of digital and culture. Let's do it as a podcast. Okay. How's life in the bubble, Tom? You living in a bubble? I'm living in a bubble bath. There's a lot of talk about bubbles and and, uh, and fake news and all of the above. And, you know, it seems to be kind of morphing into if it's something I don't like or want to hear, then it is fake. It is invalid. Yes. You hearing that out there? Yes. You seeing that? A lot of that. Yeah. And, and it's striking how culturally significant it's become. Yeah. And I mean... We all, as human beings, have a tendency to kind of look for validation of our, our existing beliefs or, or, you know, what we feel comfortable with. So, you know, this isn't a huge surprise, right? No, but it's it's funny to me how culturally revealed it's become and then yeah. how it's it's some sort of litmus test for <laughs> something. And, I, and, yeah, and even the concept of bubble or even bias, you yeah. know, is so much more on people's minds now. Right. Where before... It seemed like we could you could live your whole life without really even thinking about the bias. Without thinking about it, it was always there. And so on one hand, it's good that you know, we're starting to acknowledge that, you know what, we all come to, to things with our own experiences and our own history and our own thoughts, and that can develop into a bias. And as long as we're cognizant of that, okay, that's all right. There's never been a time that we didn't have that no no not at all and in fact i i struggled to write a failed college entrance essay about kind of subjectivity yeah you know i I should probably read it i'd be ashamed of myself now but um the idea that everyone is subjective there is no objective reality um it's always filtered through a subjective lens everything except for like raw science and physics like data yeah well, and that, you know, gets to the, the hot topic of last week of alternative facts, yeah. right? <laughs> Which is just a ridiculous term. But set aside who said it and the politics behind sure, it. Sure. The concept is ridiculous, right? Like, the, the old, what's the old saying? You can have your own opinions, but you can't have your own facts. And yet, we, we seem to be sliding into a world where, no, I'm also going to decide my own facts. Yes, or opinions are like, you know... Everyone's got one, but that's a different. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has three. Thank you for going. <laughs> thank you for going there. Not me, because I'm Amy Schumer joke. I oh, love it. Yeah, everyone yeah. has three. <laughs> All right. So, Dark. but in our world, in our work, mm-hmm. what we do, we have to. We form opinions. We're paid to pay to form opinions yeah, and to and to give direction and advice, but. How do we, in the process of gathering our research, so mm-hmm. we don't want to form our opinions too early. Do we? Right? Yeah, no, we do. We need to be careful about it. But that, yes, this is the seed, I think, ultimately of this conversation. So what do we do in the researching process? Are there things that we can do? Are there ways that like when you are talking to customers and you do a lot of customer research, like yeah. actual sitting down, having conversations, getting to the core of what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself developing an opinion as part of that and is that helpful or could that be harmful well okay so let's flag this i'm going to come back to this okay but i want to make a couple distinctions i'm going to hold you to that no, do i it. will be the press corps in this instance and i will have follow-up questions so i Tom. will be sean spicer in this, right. and i will rage with my gum <laughs> yes my wad of gum that i swallow a lot of uh-huh. um 
No, I want to make a distinction that at the agency, information comes in a couple different forms. Okay. We have a measurement and optimization group that looks at data. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for the sake of this conversation, we can say that that's objective data, mm-hmm. right? Then there are highly subjective and what I'll say are qualitative measures we, we take. We, yeah. we do research. I, t- I do talk to people. Um, and the it's about the mission of that. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the mission of that is to find out what people tell me in terms of their emotions and their own subjectivities. Sure. Right? And I think that's the essence of what we're doing when we're building experience Agreed. design yeah. because we're trying to design for that emotional or internal landscape. Yeah, because we the, the, the outcome that we're shooting for is not clicks. It's an emotional outcome. Mm-hmm. It's something that we want our customers to actually feel good about the experience yeah. at the end of the day. Yes, we want them to, to buy things or to explore new products and services, but ultimately we want to know like what would make this a better experience for you. Right, and so to be to be clear, when we're doing experience design, we might lay out specific principles that we mm-hmm. are designing towards. Yeah, we might want the customer who's doing customer service with the power company. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd think what emotions would you have about that? Yep. But we want them to feel heard, let's say, mm-hmm. validated yep. and supported. Maybe yep. there might be three principles that we then use to make any subjective decisions we make in terms of design are filtered through that. Are we doing those things? Right, because right. that's what's going to keep us from just creating pages and pages and pages of links mm-hmm. like that's just a way to provide information that's one way to do it it's flat without any life in it yeah we right. want we want people to actually navigate through that information and feel like okay yeah not only did i find what i was looking for but it was it was easy and right. i feel like i'm pretty confident in the information i got so with all that said yeah i will respect your fourth estate status Thank here you. and come back to the question which is do we form opinions do you as a researcher as a researcher and so yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the the interesting thing that this even conversation is telling me is that i my duty or my job is to report what people are saying Mm -hmm. and then to structure it in a way that a client of ours and our design teams can use right because i don't expect them to read transcripts of all the interviews it could Mm -hmm. be you know it could be 100 hours of transcript yeah so i need to I need to boil it down. I need to create an essence of it for people. Yeah. So where the subjectivity and the opinion may play, again, I'm trying to report on what I'm finding, right. but how I choose to organize it and what I choose to highlight uh, is subjective. Sure. And it is going to be based in, in intuition and opinion. And it's also based on what you know the objectives of the project are. Right. 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 And so that Because we don't... There's some information that's more valuable than, than other pieces of information based on what what it is we're trying to solve. But what I'm curious about is is are you is there a danger in coming into the research phase of things with your opinion of what you think is a is an awesome idea. Right. That you know, you could go in there and just looking for validation of that awesome idea. Right. Or you could go into it saying, "Yes, I want it to be validated, but if I find new information that tells me not such a great idea." That's more valuable. Oh, it, it certainly is. And I've, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at this, but yeah. I do try to maintain an inquisitive or open mindset. Mm-hmm. I might go in with, with opinions, but what I do is to, to open a process of research, mm-hmm. I'll often write down the questions that I'm thinking right now. Right. And it just it's just a series of questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, what does the customer feel when they're doing this? 
is there, you know, because someone's a millennial, do, does their millennial mindset make any difference? Mm-hmm. Is there a generational difference here? Whatever that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I write them down and then I put them aside. And I do try to maintain an open mind because the funny thing that happens is if you start interviewing people with a an agenda, yeah. in a weird way, you'll get a resistance. Mm. You'll get, I, I feel like people feel guided or whatever. And so their answers become narrower and more clipped. Mm-hmm. You know, they give me less color, if you will. Okay. They start to pick up on that agenda. Where's this guy going or whatever. And again, this is why I, I, I really am not super crazy about surveys because right. the questions are asked and then answered. And they're usually asked and answered in a way that can be quantified. Yes, no, or to what degree do you agree mm-hmm. to this? Kind of like you were talking about how Meg does this to you, the way you <laughs> ask a question. You can ask a question that's full of bias. Like, Tom, you know, don't you think we should buy this uh, this new mic set that yeah, we've been talking yeah. about? Oh, don't you think <laughs> that this sweater looks better on me than on you, yes, Derek? Right. You know, right. So you That's communicating <laughs> an answer that they <laughs> right. you know that she wants to hear. And among and among those of us who are married, we know we we've learned these things, you know. Right. We we have to remember that that there's communication like that. But um so I find if, if I ask questions with too tight of an agenda, I get less, Yeah. right? Again, surveys, I'm not crazy about surveys. I know that they have a place in a quantified world. It's, it's, and we'll, we can talk about that. It's I think we one, have one right? way to gather some info. Well, in some ways I'll, what I like to do is I like to do qualitative conversation mm-hmm. and then I might go back and validate with surveys mm-hmm. saying, or even the other way around, you might start with a survey and you say, in, in, like we, we did some client work where they had provided some survey. Mm-hmm. Um, output that said, you know, the reason I think about this kind of a destination for, for a trip is because I'm looking to have fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. But fun can mean lots of different things yeah, what to does lots fun of different mean? people. And right. so you can then go and talk to people like, okay, let's talk about fun. What, how do you have fun? What on is a trip? it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, and that's exactly what I, what I mean about, right. um, surveys may be missing the point. They might say uh, 99% of people responded they wanted fun, but yeah. there's no nuance in the word. Right. I don't know what it means. So still back to the original question. Um, I have found, interestingly enough, if I walk into it with a bias that shows, mm-hmm. um, I don't get very lush answers. Right. What I like to do is start a conversation. You know, Let's say we have an hour of interview time. I will start a conversation with something somewhat innocuous so we can get each other's tone and level. Mm-hmm. Cause some people like to consider before they say something and I don't want to be disrespectful and step on their answers or whatever. And other people just are conversational, you right. know? So I want to get a tone. Then I, I, I move slowly into the topic, right? Mm-hmm. At hand. Um, and I let them guide me where they're going. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like we get better answers. Again, is there bias? Maybe in terms of what I choose to investigate and yeah. what I let go, right? I'll be honest, right. that is entirely possible. Sure. But again, I feel like we're cataloging an emotional space for people. So I'm not going to say subjectivity is completely okay, but um, it's a complex space. Sure. And there are ways to check it, to keep mm-hmm. it in check, mm-hmm. and to acknowledge it, and to understand how it may be influencing the way you're approaching an interview. But ultimately, you're still, you want to uncover new information. You want to uncover something that we had not considered previously. 
Right. And what I'm doing is a really inductive process. And again, yeah. that's where we have to be careful about bias because I might choose to, as all humans do, I might see eight or nine events and create a correlation in my mind that yeah. either does or doesn't exist. So yeah. I have to kind of be careful about that, mm-hmm. um, thinking about it together. But if you listen, like all good conversations, you can work your way around a lot of that. Yeah. And creative people in creative um, roles should be open to those sorts of things. And it kind of comes back to, you know, this idea that, you know, I'm, I'm looking for someone who's really passionate about the work. And in one way, I agree with that. Yes, I want people who are passionate about the work, but not, but it can be dispassionate about their ideas. If new information comes in and, and says, you know what, that idea, yeah, it's a cool idea, but it's not really meeting the needs of the customer. Mm-hmm. I don't want a designer or a copywriter or a tech lead who is so invested in this concept that they can't they can't redirect mm-hmm. when new information comes in. Right. And I think I call that an intermediate level design skill. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, early designers have to get their hands on the tools and learn some basics. Advanced people are all about um, picking up nuance and, and leading. Yeah. But in one, some of the intermediate skills are saying no, cutting things away. Um, what happens if I remove this thing? Mm-hmm. Is it improved mm-hmm. instead of always adding? You know, and I think also letting go of ideas or letting go of your favorite idea because mm-hmm. that's we've all, I think, confronted that, <laughs> right? I love this idea, but that's not what we're doing today. You just have to be okay with that. Yep, right? and it may come back later. It might. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But don't don't hold on to it so closely that you can't, you can't see the other cool idea that's standing right behind it. Yeah, right. right. It could be. So, you know, I don't know. We I'm keep circling across this question, but I think the question of bias and research, I think it's led me to pursue some things yeah. more deeply, and I think we've been rewarded for it. Yeah, and what I think is important to understand is is what you were hinting at earlier is that it's unlikely that you're ever going to come into any sort of research um, situation without some sort of bias, without some sort of idea of, of, of what you think you're going to get out of it. And that's okay. Be cognizant of that. Be aware of that. And mm-hmm. let that um, kind of guide you through the, the conversation. But if you come in just looking to, to validate your idea, that's what you're going to get is validation. So one little trick, though, that I do like to do, and if, if anyone's doing research out there, this is, this is, I encourage you to try this. Toward, once we've built a good rapport, uh, myself and the subject, mm-hmm. talking, because it almost always happens. I've, I've om- I cannot think of an interview I've ever had. No, look at you. No, I'm serious. Mr. Friendly. You're just making friends all over making the place. Making friends. And yeah, I, that's why I call you the mayor of Portland. I am the mayor of, <laughs> of my own gritty little corner. Um, but, you know, to- let's say 45 minutes in. Yeah. I might say, I might stop and say, are there any questions you have for me? And, and just be quiet for a second. And often someone, someone may ask something that either reveals, maybe I have been fishing for a bias, or they're going to ask a question about what's this project about? Mm-hmm. Where's this inf- information going to be used? A lot of people are really interested in where this is going and what it's going to do. And, uh, but sometimes in those questions, it can be recentering. Well, I think that's interesting because that then seems to also change the nature from an interrogation into a conversation. Oh, absolutely! Right? Like you get to you get to pitch it back to them. Like, okay, well, what what do you want to talk about? 
Yeah. Did Do I, you have any questions? Did I forget something? Or and especially if, you know, hey Derek, we've been talking about this for a while. Do you have any questions for me? Mm-hmm. You know, often these people might say, well, you know what's really interesting? I never, I never thought about it that way. But what about this one thing? Mm-hmm. And that might take us down a whole road. And I, and I've had that pay off very well in a, several interviews. Yeah. So, so bias. You know, I, I think it, it happens. Yeah. Um, stepping out a little bit though not to muddy this conversation, but bias in the world has become such a thing right? where, you know, again, you know, our parents watched Walter Cronkite. Mm-hmm. He might've had bias, but it seemed gentle and good natured. Most trusted man in news. And he said, that's the way it is <laughs> every <laughs> right. night. Right. And so whether or not he had bias or his editors did, or CBS news did was ignored because he was trusted. I feel like the rise of bias claiming or bias shaming mm. is is an intentional move towards an erosion of trust in um, the fourth estate or in yeah. news or in other um, institutions, and I think I think it's a it's a um, unfortunately an intentional move to discredit. Sure, it's it's a way to manipulate. You know, you, who are you going to believe me or your lion eyes, you know? Yeah. Or the, or the, you know, are you going to believe me what I'm telling you or the video, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, and, and there have people that have been able to claim victory over the video. At least to enough people that it matters, you yeah, know, that right. it can, it can shift kind of a popular conception and you know, uh, Today, read about how Google can, Google has technology that can reconstruct um, faces that have been digitally, uh, you know, obscured with the mm-hmm. checkers. Oh. It, it can actually figure out what it was. Oh, boy. And there's tech now to, you can take a video and make it say something else. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you it's know, all the Photoshop of, of video. Photoshop yeah, of video. So all of, that all of these objective measures are going to go away anyway. Right. So without, without documentation, and if, if I can loosely call that data, that data is going to become suspect anyway. So if we are in this world of bias shamings, bias shaming, which I, you heard it here. Ding. TM. Um, TM. Add it to the glossary. <laughs> Tom's blaming bias shaming. <laughs> but you know, w- once that starts happening, what is our future? Yeah, I mean, will people just crawl into smaller and smaller holes of of trusted news sources you know this makes me want to drink hey hey luckily it's happy hour almost yeah well so we'll leave you with this kind of cold uh, empty pit of doubt <laughs> for today happy new year any questions for us why don't you are you waiting up? for an yeah. actual response <laughs> any questions for us why don't you hit us up here we'll wait here silently yeah All right, time to hit the showers. This has been the Metastential Podcast, supported by Connective DX. Don't make us do all the work. Hit us up, podcast at metastential.com. Or on Twitter, at Metastential. I might even reply, because I'm on Twitter all day long. I am not, usually. <laughs>